pollution can be eliminated and the pollution that exists can be cleaned up by logical populism. Everything is possible, even the elimination of pollution, given the right organizational model. Logical populism provides the organization which eliminates all social costs, including pollution. With the present models of organization, namely capitalism and communism, pollution will never be eliminated without destroying the system itself. This fact proves we must choose to eliminate pollution and capitalism, or maintain capitalism and socialism, and endure the impact pollution has on our lives and on the planet. Logical populists provide the reforms needed to eliminate pollution and repair the harm already done. Pollution is an additive to the environment that serves to lower the usability of existing resources. Air pollution makes the air less breathable. Water pollution makes the water dirtier. More contamination and more costly to make potable. Soil pollution makes the land less able to grow crops and support other life. Environmental protections ought not stop us from utilizing resources. Life consumes those things needed for life and there is always a transformation that takes place when resources are dedicated to the preservation and perpetuation of life. This has to be accepted. Environmentalism cannot serve as a cover for genocide. If the casual killing of animal life is wrong, then the callous removal from humanity, the things needed to survive, is at minimum an equal wrong. Claims that human life is inimical to other life is not a substantive argument. All life consumes life other than the most primitive of bacteria. Extinction is nothing new. Only mankind can, through his intelligence and planning, act in a way that can organize events to keep things from getting out of hand. However, we have to start with ourselves. The first issue we explore is intrinsic to the existence of humanity. We do put pressure on the ecosystem just by existing. Our need to survive in the way we do imposes environmental stress on many elements of nature. This is not a justifier for the extinction of human life, but a call to a more logical approach to the way we live. Some call the desired social style living lightly on the planet. This does not necessarily mean we need to return to a primitive existence. However, if our numbers are the main reason why we stress the ecology of the planet, then the most direct way to lower the impact of our presence is to reduce our numbers. Seven billion humans is sufficient to ensure our genetic survival. We do not need to increase our numbers. That being said, even if we decide to maintain our numbers as they are, or allow them to decrease, we still need to establish a consistent policy regarding migration. Consider a small island with a relatively small population. 
We can argue about how many people could live on the island, but regardless of the carrying capacity we established, we can agree, and must agree, there needs to be space not just for the people, but for social activities, the growing of food, and for wildlife habitat. The need for a cultivated or civilized life is not an unreasonable position to start from. Obviously, any land not built on is already habitat for wildlife, or it is being farmed. So we can debate how much of this can be converted to habitat for humans. But we still have to accept that at some point, if we keep increasing human populations, the space for food and wildlife will vanish. We need to keep in mind that every human comes with a rate of consumption that adds stress to the carrying capacity of the planet. This being said, we seem to have created an irrational policy that tells us that we must have a growing population if we wish to care for the elderly. The assumptions behind this kind of thinking cannot all be unpacked here. However, it cannot be that difficult to see the irrational inherent in the argument. How can a concern for the environment and the carrying capacity of the planet go hand in hand with the argument the population of our nations must increase in perpetuity? It cannot happen, and let's hope it does not need to happen, for our concern for the environment is only a way to delay the inevitable collapse of civilization. The claim that humans consume resources and therefore there is a limit to the numbers of people living in a civilized way the planet can handle is not compatible with the claim that because of an aging population we must permit more persons to be added to our present numbers using migrants and immigrants. This is not to say a limited number of highly targeted immigrants is not a shortcut to obtaining people with particular skills that are needed. But this is a technical issue, not a policy or politically mandated activity. Either the population can expand indefinitely, or the time to cut off migration and most immigration is now. If there's no other way to deal with an aging population than by increasing the population, we are in serious trouble. Do those who see the solution to an aging population assume the new arrivals will not age? Because if they will age, then according to this policy, the only recourse is to promote an infinitely expanding population. If you reject the need or the necessity of an ever-expanding population, then at what point are you going to stop increasing the numbers? If you intend to halt the increase, why not now? Stopping the population from increasing is one part of the problem, but we also need to stop the pollution. If we look at pollution as waste, then the greatest waste is the waste of human resources. Once we stop pollution, the pressures on local populations will ease, and there will not be the need to migrate. To understand the methodology logical populists use, we only need to think in the way environmentalists have asked us to think. We are asked to think of the world as a single island in space. Such ideas are useful for committed environmentalists, but this is not how people normally think of the world or their situation in it. When a company creates costs but does not pay them, 
This is referred to as a transfer of costs onto society and future generations. A company that produces paper but allows the polluted wastewater to be carried away from the local stream reduces its overhead considerably compared to a company that does not pollute and keeps all of its costs in-house. The company that pollutes will be able to reduce its costs more than the company that pays all of its costs. The polluting company has what is called a competitive advantage. Therefore, it pays the polluting company to pollute. The environment of the company is primarily a business environment composed of costs and income. It is almost as if it was a different island from the one lived on downstream, who see the stream as something more than just a handy drainage ditch. We cannot solve the problems of pollution unless we solve the two-island problem, the problem created by an environment in which the polluter resides in an essentially different reality than the victimized community. A business can tolerate pollution more readily than a community can. A business has a higher tolerance for pollution than a community has. A company can view a clear-cut forest or a polluted stream as a cost advantage or even a cost avoided. But this is a community's future resource, and the average residents of a community cannot tolerate what a business can. However, this does not mean that it ought to be the community that pays for the cost of the cleanup. Absorbing the cost of cleanup does not just put unearned profits into the pockets of a corporation. It sends the wrong signal to the market, the painkiller that seems to be a good buy. When subsidized by taxpayers, directly or indirectly, distorts market demand and encourages investment in the wrong places. All those costs that are connected to making the product or providing the service ought to be contained in the price of the drug or other product, so the market can provide accurate information about prices. Prices to a company represents risk. By avoiding cost, the company avoids or reduces risks. Avoidance of risk is to reduce the threat of loss. In fact, the payment of costs is a loss to a company that is focused on creating profits. We have noted that the planet cannot avoid costs. The community, to a great extent, cannot avoid costs either. The company can avoid the payment of costs, but this usually means that these costs are transferred over to the books of the community it is in. The business avoids costs by transferring costs onto society and future generations. From the perspective of the people, the community, this does not make sense. The company is owned by a member of the community. It cannot benefit the community if one citizen, if one of its members, reneges on a commitment, thereby imposing the cost of a transaction on a third party, who would be a member of the community or who is the community as a whole. The community has attempted to regulate this through law. Often this only adds insult to injury. As the community ends up having to pay the costs of the cleanup and the legal costs of taking a company to court that may plead insolvency. 
The profit taking of a company is justified by the risks the entrepreneur takes. What the people need is an alternative business model that absorbs the risks in the entity that ultimately stands surety for the risk, that is the community itself. Exchanges are a business model that represents a community as the insurer of last resort. Exchanges eliminate risk and threats of loss and therefore remove both the justification for greed and the profit motive of compensation for the risk the investor is said to be exposed to. Remember, even though the individual investor is said to be exposed to a threat of loss, the exposure is really the possibility that Citizen A will have his resources transferred to Citizen B or expropriated in favor of Citizen B. In the context of the community or planet, the risk does not really exist. It's an illusion created by a bizarre way of looking at ownership, i.e. what is called private ownership. Private ownership creates the illusion of risk between two private ownerships, each with a vested interest in a single property. No one can own commercial property, not outright. There is always some liability or risk associated with commercial property. There are always competing interests to vying claims. Even if you think you have absolute ownership, there is always the threat of loss from another claimant. Your ownership of a business means nothing if customers do not purchase your product or service. The state always reserves a right to tax and regulate. Other factors also intrude. A strike, war, or other international event can cause severe strains on supply lines and other inputs. To suggest ownership is an absolute position is rejected by the evidence. To neutralize risk, the risk has to be absorbed by the community itself. An exchange represents the interest of all stakeholders in the community. To capitalize an exchange, investors donate assets. The assets reflect the nature of the exchange. Exchanges are a business owned by the community in order to neutralize risk and threats of loss. Exchange is thus a risk-free investment opportunity. A capitalist business is capitalized by someone with capital, that is, commercial assets or assets capable of producing income. This requires a person with sufficient property to endure the needed exposure to risk that comes from investing his own capital or the capital of others obtained through credit to establish the business. This makes setting up a business risky and a demanding enterprise. Capitalism is similar to forbidding travel to anyone who cannot run a mile in under five minutes. It's an idiotic and irrational limitation on a much needed activity. Civilization has made setting up a business difficult because the risks in setting up a business are great. What we do not seem to understand is that these risks are what they are because of the difficulty created in setting up a business. Most businesses fail in the first year or so. 
because the person did not have enough capital or credit to establish the business properly. Most other remainder businesses fail within five or ten years because of owner burnout. The owner did not have enough capital to get the business to the point where he or she can unload the work onto others. If we wish to unpack this to make it more understandable, we only need to remember what a business actually is. A business is people helping one another in a specialized way. To create a business is to create a specialized way of contributing something to your community. This is all a business is. A non-business is non-specialized activity. Once you specialized, you have to choose a specialization that others find useful and allows them or encourages them to specialize in return. For example, Jane specializes in looking after infants. This allows mothers to specialize in other ways and leaves the care of infants to Jane. This makes the community more productive because specialization has increased. All productivity increases are due to the increase in specialization. But if no one wants to specialize by permitting Jane to look after the infants, Jane's business will fail. If Jane cannot encourage enough people to use her service or attract enough resources through her services to hire help, she will eventually be overwhelmed by the many hats she is forced to wear. So we see how businesses are established and we see how businesses fail. So what we have to focus on is how ought a community encourage specialization to such a degree that the risk of starting a business is eliminated. We need to remember that so far as the community is concerned, Jane's failure as an entrepreneur does not harm the community. If we were on an island and part of an isolated economy, her business failure would not mean no children existed or the assets of the business disappeared. All that would happen is the assets of the business would revert to other uses. The total wealth of the economy in the community would not change. The error capitalists and communists have made is to put ownership in the hands of people who take up a responsibility that is not theirs to have. An individual or corporation cannot own a waterfall because a business or an individual cannot take responsibility for it nor for any other natural resource. The assets of a community belong to the community. They have the responsibility. This is the concept of dominion. The resources of a region belong to the people of a region and cannot be legitimately abrogated or removed. When we understand the rights of possession as it pertains to a political jurisdiction, we will understand the key to establishing a sustainable civilization. Every political jurisdiction is a political island or world. The citizens of the community own the community. It is represented by a ledger or a book of accounts. Citizens are represented by an account in the community ledger. For the purposes of the discussion we will call this ledger or the agent representing the ledger 
and exchange. Think of the community as an undifferentiated mass of persons. To create a real community, we need to create specialization. Each specialization becomes a sub-community in the exchange. The plumbers exchange is composed of plumbers. The transportation exchange contains all those who specialize in transportation and its ancillary activities and so on. To create an exchange, the assets necessary for that specialization are donated to the relevant exchange. Plumbers donate the commercial assets of a plumbing business to the plumbing exchange. Transportation workers donate the assets required for by businesses involved in transportation to the transportation exchange. These assets are compensated for with preferred shares drawing on the exchange. Preferred shares represent equity or wealth and serve as the currency of the exchange. A unit of preferred shares is equal to and replaces a unit of the domestic currency. Account holders use the prefers as a currency to purchase goods and services from the exchange. That is the various specialization that operate as exchanges. The exchange absorbs all the risks of the business. The investor holds prefers, the preferred shares currency, that can be drawn on any business operating as an exchange. If a commercial enterprise is no longer producing sales, its assets are not lost. The assets are simply transferred to another business within the community. It no longer makes sense for business to pollute. Because the exchange model, the pollution always remains a cost of the community. The community will always use the cheapest solution to pollution, and that is to not produce it in the first place. Why create a manufacturing process that pollutes a stream belonging to the community when the community then has to create a process to clean the stream. Pollution ceases to make economic sense in the exchange model. The product created and the resources consumed all are contained within the same market, the same exchange model. One cannot transfer cost outside of it. What is even more significant, individuals can specialize in cleaning up existing pollution and be paid for the service by the community. So not only does the exchange community stop polluting, it finds it profitable to clean up the pollution already in the community. If we have a stream in the community and it is polluted, it's an asset that is not exhibiting full value. If John wishes to clean up the stream, he's creating value for the community. That is a commercial activity. Therefore, since he is creating value by cleaning up pollution, John is paid for his activity. Therefore, it pays the community to eliminate pollution, including 
present pollution or ongoing pollution as well as previous pollution that still remains within the community. Thus, logical populism is the only solution to pollution.